karma. We live in an age of increasing lawlessness and anti-God society. The fruit is undeniable. Unbridled crime, poverty, oppression, and hopelessness abound. To many, it would seem as if God has forgotten about us all. It's happening all over the world. The global elite are prospering. The middle class is being dismantled, while the poor are herded into urban collectives of misery, squalid shanty towns of epic proportions. One of the most epic is found here. Continent, Africa. Region, East Africa. Most populated nation, Kenya. Most prominent city, Nairobi. Most disturbing distinction, rated as one of Africa's most violent cities. Most stunning statistic, home to one of the greatest concentrations of urban slums in the world. Nairobi contains five million residents. More than half live in slums. One of these is named Kibera, located in a valley three miles long and one mile wide with more than half a million people. It is the single largest slum in all of Africa. There are no squatters in Kibera. Everyone pays rent. For $50 a month, you and your family get a 10 foot by 10 foot room. Dirt floors, no electricity, no running water, no latrine. Kibera hosts a pandemic of AIDS, tuberculosis, malaria, typhoid, and hepatitis. Violent crime goes unchecked. By all practical appearances, the slum dwellers have been forsaken and abandoned. Many have said they are accursed, nothing more than human trash. But there's at least one that has a different opinion of these slum dwellers. Jesus has not abandoned the slum dwellers. His church is there and it's growing thanks to his shepherds who live and minister in the very heart of Gabera. Men born and raised in the slums, men he has called to pastor and shepherd his people in places you and I cannot go, reaching millions of people throughout Nairobi's 199 slums. These slum pastors have never been to a Bible school. Nairobi's Bible schools charge about $2,000 per year. Clearly, their doors are closed to these pastors. Despite these dire circumstances, these pastors have found hope and help at Disciple Support Ministries Bible Institute, where we reach, train, and encourage these pastors, the pastors of the least. Disciple Support Ministries began in the slums of Nairobi in 2002. The vision began with the hope of 25 to 30 serious, diligent, and committed pastors to attend. But the Lord had more in mind. We now operate four Bible schools and average 400 pastors and ministry leaders each semester. One in the Cabrera slum, another in Nairobi's second largest slum, the Matheri Valley, and the two new campuses in the neighboring country of Tanzania. Disciple Support Ministries provides discipling through the word, teaching indigenous pastors the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, emphasizing real life application, personal holiness, and the call to make disciples. 
All of the Bible teaching is done by indigenous pastors of the slums, men born and raised in the slums, teaching the people of the slums, men of God raised up through our Bible schools, teaching their own people, like these men you see here, teaching the only gospel that saves and gives life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thousands of pastors and ministry leaders have attended our free Bible schools, and there are thousands more that we need to reach. This is Paul and Marcia Cowley. They have been serving as DSM missionaries since 2002. You are their family in Christ. You are their home team. You have an opportunity to get to know them, encourage them, and help them. Pray for God's hand to protect and guide our missionaries. Pray for God's pastors, our African brothers in Christ to continue to stand in the face of such desperate conditions. You are invited to find out more about Disciple Support Ministries. We welcome you to simply sign up for our monthly newsletter. It will bless you each month. It will let you see what God sees, and it will reveal to you His heart, His heart for the Great Commission, His heart for the pastors of the least in the slums of Africa. I won't dance. But if you were there, you have to. Even if you can't dance, you must dance. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, please. Lord, thank you again for the privilege to be gathered today, to be your children, to have you as our Father, to be redeemed by you, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, you've given us the gift of your word. And we pray that you would bless the ministry of your word this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would grant us ears to hear, that we might be moved and changed, that we might not leave here the way we came in. We submit ourselves to you, not to the words of a man, not to man's wisdom, but Lord, to you as our sovereign God. And we thank you. We thank you for this generation that we live in. We thank you that, Lord, you've called us for such a time as this, even for this very moment. And so we ask you to prevail in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you again. I want to begin by thanking you. Um, can I ask how many people in the room I'm meeting for the first time? Okay. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, your church has stood with us for nearly 22 years, from the very times of very small beginnings. Um, and I, I just got back uh, just about a week ago from Kenya, and I was admonished to make sure... I thank you for what you're doing. Some of you are giving individually. Many of you have been praying for us for many years, and your church, of course, has been standing with us. So I bring you many, many, many thanksgivings. 
um, all to God's glory, but we appreciate what you're doing. Um, we're, we're now in, into our 22nd year of ministry there and um, have four, four Bible school locations. We only serve pastors and ministry leaders. So everyone you see in that picture is a person of influence in the slum communities. Uh, most of our pastors have two to three churches. Some of our pastors have 85 churches. So when we impact one of those pastors or bishops or ministry leaders, we're, 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 we're impacting tens and hundreds of thousands of people throughout that nation. Um, we, we had hoped many years ago to, to get to the point of ministering to 25 pastors and ministry leaders. And um, it, it just kind of didn't turn out that way. The first day we, we opened up, we had 110 of them. Um, and so for many years, we've averaged about 225. Um, last year, it jumped to 325. And we just finished our first semester, and we're over 400. So, so God, God, is, God is moving. Um, um, this is not a, a man-made effort. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I, I had the privilege to participate in that. And it's quite overwhelming. All the teaching now is done by pastors and ministry leaders that we've raised up through the Bible schools. So um, I've, not, I've not been teaching at the Bible school now for three years. All the instruction is done by them. Uh, on the ground, the administration is done by them. And, and that's, that's the way we've always been moving towards that. Well, we're there. Now we're there. Um, the focus of what we do is, is not the conditions that you see. The, the focus of what we do is the spiritual leader in that community who was born there and lives there and will die there. And if we can encourage, support, and get them rooted and grounded in this Jesus, we have tremendous impact in that community, and now there's room for lots more ministry to be done. So that's our small piece uh, they don't come to us to learn how to be pastors and ministry leaders. They're already doing that. So, so you, you can't come into the Bible school as a congregation member or just because you want to learn. You must be a pastor or ministry leader. Now, how you come in, um, our, our, our qualification process is, are you serious? It's a very, very serious program. You'll, they'll be with us uh, one day a week because these are working pastors. So they work full-time jobs. They're very, very poor people. Plus, they're full-time pastors and full-time fathers and full-time everything. Very, very busy, complicated lives. And, and we encourage them, if you can come one day a week or even a half a day a week, we'll teach you the Bible for free. So they're coming to Bible school for free. Their contribution is... They're missing a day of work, and that's a huge contribution. When they come to us, they have, in most cases, a version of Christianity that you would barely recognize as Christianity. Still doing witchcraft in the church. 
still engaged in ancestral worship, still engaged in animal sacrifice, and, and many other unspeakable things I can't mention, with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top. Now, that's not the kind of church that we want to duplicate. We want to bring that pastor in, and we want to introduce him to another Jesus. And once, once they've encountered this Jesus, everything in that church changes. And so, so our focus is inside the church. They'll do the evangelism. They'll do the church planting. They'll do the outreach. Ours is to build up that man and woman of God and get them rooted and grounded. And so we try to give them a passion for the word of God and then make them into disciple makers. If, if you want to find out more about the ministry, um, stop by the table on the way out, um, say hello to us, and uh, sign up for our newsletter. We send this out once a month. We only send out a hard copy because you don't read my emails. <laughs> so this will sit on your, on your counter in your kitchen for a month or so, but one morning you'll pick it up and you'll read it. And I promise you the next month you'll want to pick it up again. So um, feel free to sign up for that. Uh, if you're watching online, you can go to our website and sign up online at disciplesupport.org. Uh, pick up the postcard, refrigerator card, whatever you want to call it. Um, if, you, if you already have one, um, we've changed a little bit since you saw me last. Remember those little kids I used to bring with me? Yeah. Well, I'm really here to raise support to feed them. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. You want to help a poor child? I have three of them. So, so pick up the card, put it in your refrigerator, pray for us, and pick up a bookmarker, put it in your Bible, pray for the pastors, pray for the Bible schools, and um, we'd love to connect with you. You know, you're really not connecting with, with us, our family. You're connecting with those pastors, okay? Because they're doing a work that none of us can do. They're uniquely called to that time and place and what we can do to help them do that. Uh, turn with me, please, if you could, in your Bible. I'm going to be in, in, in Luke chapter 12, and then I'm going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Luke chapter 12 and Colossians chapter 3. Um, nowadays, I spend, I spend about 75% of my time now in the, in the States um, doing this, and um, Raising awareness so we can continue to grow this ministry. And I spend about 25% of my time now uh, in Kenya. I just got back a week ago. So I, I, live in, I live in two very, very different worlds. They couldn't be more different. I, I, I live amongst people who've never been able to affect the circumstances of their life. Not materially, not physically, not financially. And then I live here amongst people who have always been able to affect the circumstances of their life. 
I want you to understand those two worlds are now converging. The ability for you to affect the circumstances of your life is rapidly and deliberately being torn out of your hands. And things to come point to a time of trouble such as we've never had. Time is short, and the enemy of your soul knows that. And his foot is on the accelerator right down to the floor. Now, the pastors in the slums, they understand this completely. They understand the reality that things to come are going to be catastrophic. And these are things not years from now. These are things months and in some cases even weeks from now. The pastors of the least have been preparing for this for years. And they also have their foot on the accelerator as well, down to the floor, preparing themselves all the more earnestly right now. And my question for you is, how about you? I want to talk to you about this a little further. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12, please. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is speaking. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. It might read a little bit different from your Bible if you have the wrong one, but <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I? Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying this The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, if we were looking at this passage in the Bible school, we would start with the basic inductive Bible study technique of identifying what is repeating. What's repeating in here? I, me, my. A very self-directed man, very sure of himself. And yet, the man was completely unprepared for the circumstances ahead. Because the critical day ahead had nothing to do with things. Neither an abundance of things nor a lack of things. 
He was utterly unprepared for things to come, and the focus of his past and his present actions were completely in the wrong direction. Laying up things, preparing things himself for his future according to his view of reality. Now, I speculate that this man thought himself to be quite wise and prudent and forward-thinking. And yet the conclusion is, God calls him a fool. Let's continue in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, here's the conclusion, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God, if then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things, the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Let me pause for one moment. Did you hear that? That's a very, very powerful statement. I'm still trying to unpack it. He's not only saying stop the accumulation. He said go ahead and sell what you have. And as if, as if God is saying, go ahead. Go ahead and test me in this. Go sell it. has huge implications for us. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what's repeating in those, those few verses? Do not worry. Do not be anxious and do not fear. Five times. 
What else is repeating? Things. We're not to worry. We're not to fear. We're not to be anxious about things. And then Jesus gives us four direct commandments. These are not suggestions or little things that we should contemplate. He gives us four direct commandments in here. He says, number one, here's what you need to do. I'm commanding you, seek the kingdom of God first. Number two, do not fear things to come. That is physical, material, financial things. Don't fear that. Number three, rather, sell what you have and give alms. Again, just a huge statement that I could spend a day just talking about that. And finally, number four, prepare yourself spiritually for the future reality that's coming. That's what the rich man was not doing. Now, that rich man and the pastors that we serve couldn't be more different. Um, our pastors and ministry leaders are, are not rich by any means. In fact, they are utterly destitute. Um, they, have no, they have no abundance set aside for the future, not even tomorrow. They've lived a life of deprivation. They have no room, no capacity for anything further than living one moment at a time. You know, for, for someone like me to go over there and lecture them on financial stewardship or put them through some kind of financial peace seminar would be utterly insulting. Key point is this. If anyone should fear things to come, it would be them. They're already on the edge. And yet, they're spending their time in spiritual things, coming to the Bible school. When they come to the Bible school, as I mentioned, they miss a day of work. When you're living hand to mouth, when you don't work today, you don't eat today. That's not an exaggeration. Not only are they not working, they're spending money on transport. In the midst of a global financial crisis, they're actually spending money to get to the Bible school. Going to the Bible school while the world around them is disintegrating and continual tragedies are knocking at the door every day. Building themselves up spiritually for the very real circumstances in crisis that is coming to all of us. What's the biblical foundation for what they're doing? Well, if you can, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1.
I know you know this verse, but let's look at it with, with new eyes and open hearts. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My friends, the key point is this. For a Christian, and I'm assuming everyone in this room is a Christian. For a Christian, anxiety about things on this earth indicates a severe spiritual departure from the faith. When I say severe spiritual departure, that's just a euphemism for sin. It's sinful for a Christian to be worried about things. I mentioned to you when I first started speaking about our newsletter, I happened to bring today a newsletter called A Day in the Life. It's just a brief Nine hundred words describing a typical day for a typical pastor that we serve. You'll fall out of your chair. And I'm only putting it in nine hundred words. If I told you what it's really like, it'd take me ten thousand. If you're already getting the newsletter, I would suggest you pick this one up because you've probably not had this one before or it was a long time ago. So um, pick it up, take it home, read it. You're going to be devastated. But I want you to understand, that's not the point. The point is not the desperation and the deprivation, although it's unspeakable, indescribable. That's not the point. The point is that in the midst of that, their priority is spiritual things. That's the point. And if they can do it, we can do it. They've set their mind on spiritual things, things from above. And again, these are people that have always understood that they cannot, they cannot affect the physical, material, and financial conditions of their life. It's outside their boundary of control. This is not a place where if you work hard and play by the rules, you will move up at least a little bit, and then your children will move up a little bit more. It doesn't work that way. The game is set against you deliberately. Those slums that you saw in those pictures they will never go away until Jesus comes back. Never. They're worse now than they were the day I went there 22 years ago. What were, now, what were one story 10 by 10 shacks are now two story 10 by 10 shacks. Half a million people will become a million people. 
So these are people who understand that they cannot affect their physical, material, financial conditions. Some fools in this world still think they can. My friend, those days are over for everyone. I remember 20-some years ago when I first met the pastors in the slums, I was teaching on a radio program uh, in Nairobi, and you know, Nairobi doesn't look just like the slums. It's a very developed city. We, we have literally 16-lane superhighways, elevated superhighways. Um, I'll see more Mercedes-Benz in one day than you see in a year. So you have two extremes of society. Um, so I was teaching on this radio program downtown in a nice, cushy, high-rise building with air conditioning, and I uh, thought I was doing wonderful things for Christ. Until one day I came down the elevator and the elevator doors opened up and there was six men standing there. And they said, are you Brother Paul? And I said, why? <laughs> That's the right answer you give. Why? And then they said, well, you may not know this, but all the pastors in the slums have been listening to this program and, and we've never heard anything like this. Well, the only thing I was doing is what Pastor Carl does here every week just teaching verse by verse through the word of God, which they found utterly astounding and a Jesus they never understood before. Can you please come down to the slums and, and, and meet us? And, and so I, I did. And let me tell you, that's a very intimida intimidating thing to do. This is not a place that you go in lightly. 22 years later, I still walk into those slums. Those people know me. They've known me for decades. I still walk in with pastors. You don't walk in there by yourself. And so I went in there, and they said something to me that changed the entire course of my life. They said, you know, we've had people like you coming in here for 150-plus years. Um, we really don't need another one. But we've heard something different from you. If you would just give us that... That's what we need. Don't give us anything else. Please, don't ever give us money. We don't know how to handle it. Don't give us free Bibles. We're just going to turn around and sell them. Don't give us your trinkets or your things because we fight over your things. Your things have corrupted us, and we don't have the moral character to handle them. So please, if you would just do ministry the way we need, here's what we need. Just come in and teach us this book. Now, I wasn't prepared for that conversation. I come from a can-do culture, task-oriented culture. We like to fix things physically, financially, materially. That's easy. Fixing them spiritually is a whole lot harder. See, I want you to understand that things can corrupt us spiritually. And let us be warned ourselves, there's a very real accountability, there's a very real accountability for giving prayerlessly 
and carelessly. Don't do that. And there's a very real accountability for accumulating things carelessly and prayerlessly. Don't do that. Let me close in Luke chapter 12, please. Luke chapter 12, verse 4, will bring us to a landing. Luke chapter 12, verse 4, Jesus is speaking again. And he says this, Luke chapter 12, verse 4, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear God. Fear God, who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear God. Now, he immediately goes in and talks about something physical and material. Look what he says in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And yet, in other words, they're, they're almost worthless. And yet, not one of them is forgotten by God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. My friends, if we, if we just had the faith of a sparrow, The problem is that we have misplaced fear. We have taken the fear of God and replaced it with a fear of things. Most often, a fear of lack of things. If you remember back in the 1930s and 40s, was millions of people being herded into railroad cars and sent off to concentration camps. Most of them were Jews. And they were headed to a destination that was not of their choosing. They did not have control of their destination. And they were told by some it was going to be a good destination. Don't worry, everything will be fine. But they had heard some rumors that it might not be that. They weren't quite sure. And as they were herded into these boxcars, they were given the opportunity to take one piece of luggage. Just one. Put in it whatever you want. What do you think they put in? Well, they put things in of great material and financial value. That's what they put in. Practical, material, financial things. Carried them into those boxcars, and they were in those boxcars for two to three days, standing so tight you couldn't even squat down. 
And while they were in those boxcars, I can only imagine what was going through their minds. I'm not sure where I'm headed. It's outside of my control. Most of them were thinking about what they should have put in that luggage. Oh, I forgot this. I should have put in that. Oh, my goodness, these things that I didn't, oh. And yet, in that same boxcar, there were a few, just a few, who weren't thinking about their luggage or their things. They were crying out to Jehovah. Now, when those boxcar doors opened, who was prepared for what was coming? And so I want to ask you, how are you preparing for things to come? Because they're coming. I know how the pastors of the least are preparing. They're asking us to build the next Bible school. Uh, just on my last trip, I had three very serious requests from bishops and pastors. Brother Paul, here's the location, here's the site. Can you please just send us a teacher? I could open five Bible schools tomorrow. I would fill them tomorrow night. That's how they're preparing. How are you preparing? Some people have a, what I call a bunker mentality. You know, preppers. You know, they're piling up the food and the guns and the Patriot packs and satellite phones and solar panels to live in some organic off-the-grid paradise in the mountains of North Carolina. The preppers. Yeah, they're, they're, they're stocking up. They're stocking up just like the rich man. And justifying it. You see, we're good at justifying things. You justify it as an abundance of caution, being a good steward, being wise as a serpent. You can use any number of proverbs to justify it but then you'll have missed the point of what Jesus said. As for me and my house, we're not doing that. We're going to be busy about his business. Seeking first and foremost and fervently things of the kingdom of God. Studying. Studying his word not the stock market. And making things, making disciples, not making bunker preparations. And numbering, numbering my days, not my assets for retirement. Preparing my spirit my spirit for the catastrophic times ahead. Preparing for my judgment before the king of kings that I might not appear before the king 
empty-handed. As for me and my house, we are refusing, we are, we are refusing, we are refusing to worry. Because anxiety for a Christian about things is nothing less than sin. It's blasphemous against the very character of God, and it's defiant against the very commands of Jesus that we just read. If you remember back to the to the the day that you were saved. That moment when you submitted to Christ. I suppose most of you, like me, were thinking about your death and realizing you weren't ready. You weren't ready to die and meet your maker you found yourself unprepared and you knew you needed to make things right with God. Well, thank God for that day and thank God for that understanding. Well, let me tell you this. Giving your death to Jesus is not enough. You need to give him your life. And if you have just today and just tomorrow, you need to live that life for Christ. Things are coming. Truly catastrophic things are coming. If you're listening to the propaganda, you're listening to the noise on your phone and on the TV screen, that's not what's coming. It's much worse. I would suggest to you, turn off the noise and get before God. Go back and read these passages. And let's focus on things that have spiritual significance and eternal significance that we might be able to face the practical crisis that is at our doorstep. This is not a message about riches. This is a message about fear. Fear of God needs to be number one. In closing, I just uh, want to invite Pastor Jim up to close us in prayer and the worship team and just remind you that um, Come back and meet us at the table and sign up for the newsletter. We would love to connect with you and love to have you praying for the people that we serve. God bless you.